I'm Meg Dahl, your Unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. I'm so excited to dive into today's episode with you because we have an awesome guest. Cassie Aurora joined me to chat all things astrology, energy medicine, and also share how she used astrology to overcome her eating disorder and return back home to herself and live this life of freedom that she does today. So Cassie is one of my go-to ladies when it comes to astrology. So if you're interested in diving into astrology and getting to know yourself better, I highly recommend Cassie's work. She actually did a birth chart reading for me And it was so fascinating, so many takeaways, and we weave some of my birth chart into today's episode. However, it's mainly about Cassie and her journey overcoming eating disorders, and I know you ladies are going to have so many takeaways from this episode, but also just leave this episode feeling super inspired whether or not you're on your own recovery journey or not, you're just going to love Cassie and what she has to say. I love her energy and her vibes. And um, we also talk about human design, actually. Cassie is a projector. So if you're not familiar with human design, definitely go back and listen to my human design episodes. There's so many fun episodes here. We're already on episode 109 craziness. I feel like it's probably about time to do another solo Q&A episode maybe. The last one I did I think was episode 100. So send me some questions and we'll do another Q&A episode. But in the meantime, let's cut over to this awesome chat with Cassie Aurora. Hey, Cassie. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on with me this week. I know I was on your podcast recently, so it's an honor to have you on mine now. Thank you so much, Meg. I'm super excited as well. So I want to say thank you for having me because I kind of, I think I accidentally invited myself on (laughs) initially. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really, really happy. So thank you for having me. I don't think that happened at all. Not in my mind, at least. I know you reached out to have me on your podcast. And I don't know, I felt this pull knowing that you have a podcast. Well, you're going to come on mine if you're having me on yours. And you're just an absolute amazing human. So I'm really excited to have everyone meet you today. So why don't you start us off with that, sweetheart? And introduce yourself. Where you- um, so I'm Cassie. I'm from the UK. Um, 
So I basically, well, in a nutshell, what I do now, um, because I'm actually, I started off trained in fitness and health coaching um, alongside being trained in musical theatre and did both, which is just so random. Um, but nowadays I work with women um, primarily with energy work. So I'm a Reiki master, yoga teacher, astrologer, and I kind of use those things along with tarot to work with women one-to-one to really help them return to themselves. So really getting past the wounding, the layers of stuff that basically aren't them and help to really empower them to transform their own lives. So this is kind of what I do. Um, how I got there, though, was maybe not um, just by coincidence, I guess. I don't even want me to go into that a bit more. Yeah, for sure. I was just thinking when you said that you really, you know, aspire and like all of the work that you do really supports women in coming back home to themselves. Right. And I was just thinking like, girl, you are speaking our language on this show. So that's what we're always about here. And I know that's why you and I connect so deeply. So I think that if anyone is into the work of guiding women back home to themselves, Obviously, at one point, you probably found yourself very far away from yourself, right? And you have to go through that journey of coming home to yourself. So definitely take us through your story. Share your story with us, Cassie. Thank you. It will be an honor to share my story. Um, So... Like most people, um, as we grow up, we definitely accumulate layers, I think, um, of stuff that's not our own, you know, through socialization, you know, and conditioning. Um, but, you know, when, so I, I was born into, um, already my dad wasn't there when I was born, he was having an affair. So I think literally from like, the word go, like even in the womb, I was probably aware of a lot of stuff that was going on with my mum. And my mum did like the very best she could. She was an amazing human, um, but she really struggled. So we grew up with very little and we didn't have a lot of money at all. I grew up and found out like my mum used to really like starve herself so that we could eat. And, um, you know, it was tough and So I actually developed when I was very young because my mum would work in the home, like she was self-employed. And I developed this habit really of kind of comfort eating. Um, And that's kind of, I think, when my eating disorder even began, like this relationship with food. Um, And so I was a very anxious child. Like I remember being always worried and I've actually thought it was normal to be worried. And I was constantly worried about people leaving, people dying. Um, It would go to like extremes. Like I would think aliens were coming for me and stuff. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but it was really, I was so imaginative. And I always felt like I was, because I was really empathic and I could see spirits and talk to to, um, like, um, you know, nature. And I would have the trees speaking to me and I was like in a different world really and it was a bit crazy and I was always told like it was nonsense and that really got like 
ingrained out of me because people were really freaked out and I was like oh so and so says this it was like I was a really strange child so that kind of got taken out of me and I was kind of like a bit of not a loner at school but I didn't like to join in anything because I was always worried about what would go wrong and also because I comfort I was really overweight as a kid and I didn't do much movement and it's not because I didn't know about fitness or anything it was like I was a kid and I enjoyed playing music and painting and sitting down like and being in my imaginary world um and so then as I grew up I really got into music that was my thing and it was the only point and it makes sense now because I'm a projector um as your listeners will know in human design if they're projectors when you get recognized it's really the only kind of conditioning or like recognition you get so that's the affirmation that okay I'm good at this so I'll do it more and so with music, I was really gifted at it. And I was recognized as an actual human being, not as like the fat girl. Um, and that because that was my identity at school. I was not seen because I was essentially overweight. Um, you know, my clo- I had two close friends and they really valued me. Um, but I just got stuck into my work and I fell into like an overachiever, perfectionist kind of uh, mind and I went to like a really uh, like a grammar school in England they have schools for like you have to pass an exam to go and everything was like really in this overachiever mentality and really ran through life anxious and attached to so many patterns of just what I did and I was never still and then when I was about 11 I really started to notice like um boys and my dad wasn't around so I had a thing around needing the affection of men I didn't know that at the time um and everything I was doing perfectionist wise and with my schoolwork and my music and being really extraordinary at these things was really to try and get my dad to see me and really only realize that maybe like when I was like maybe three years ago in therapy, I still never really had made that connection um, because I've always been really obsessive about everything I do. It's probably my Scorpio. Um, So yeah, and then when I was 11, I really started to notice the difference that I was overweight and, you know, everyone else wasn't. And there were boys and I liked boys. so I said to my mum one day, mum, like, my mum was always dieting, always dieting. She had a thing around food. She was also an alcoholic, um, you know, and so that was something else that was kind of going on. And we never saw it. She did her best, but it was going on. Um, and so I said, you know, can I diet? And she was like, bless her, she was doing the best she could. But then she took me to Weight Watchers. And this is when it all went wrong because I was going through puberty. And in Weight Watchers, it's like a system. If no one knows, you have like points. So it doesn't matter what you eat. You could eat like marshmallows as long as it was in your points, which I actually did. Um, but I took it to an extreme because that's me. And so I would end up having like five points a day or something. I think that's the equivalent of like 200 calories. I don't know. And that's when my eating disorder really began. And I went through then years of like a lot of restriction, 
um, still was overachieving. At some point in there, I started to discover boys and that only made it worse and worse. Um, and really from the age of 11, that was when the food disorder became really strong. Um, along with other things, you know, the anxiety, but I literally was born with anxiety. I thought that was normal. Um, and I went through a period of really, um, at the time my mum had remarried, the guy she remarried was really quite abusive. Um, he would like fight my brother on the front lawn. It was really quite bad. Um, this was all normal though to us as kids because you, it's like your house. So really grew up in a, a chaotic, horrible situation. And when I was about 16, um, I was at the point of applying for university. I wanted to study medicine or um, music. I wasn't sure. But either way, um, I was at that kind of critical time. And my mum suddenly got ill one week with like a chest infection. It was just nothing extreme. It was just like, you know, a normal chest infection. But I think because her body was so weak and years and years and years of abusing it through alcohol and dieting, I do blame it on dieting and just stress. Uh, within a week, I think it was within about two weeks, she was dead. And she, we, like when she was going into hospital, I remember because I'm claircognizant, so I just know things. And I said, she will not come out of that hospital if she goes in. Please, please, please do not send her in. And of course, as I had, I don't mean to be like, oh, as I had predicted, but as I had predicted and as my body was screaming, telling me, my body came out in hives all over, especially where the umbilical cord is. I had a circle of hives there at the time. So I knew. And then she suddenly passed away. And she was really my, although she had, was obviously struggling her addiction, she was my best friend and I wasn't ready for it. She was really my only ally, I felt. And my younger sister was only like seven at the time. It was really hard. Um, and after she passed, my stepdad really struggled. He was very abusive. Um, it was a really bad time. And that's when I don't remember much because I think at that point it's like PTSD type thing. And my dad really wasn't around. He pops up every now and then still, but it's not there. So it was a really tough time. And I never really saw that until I was, you know, in my recovery. So I kind of then went into my eating disorder. I started university. I didn't want to do medicine because I was so traumatized by what I'd seen in hospital with my mum because she picked up MRSA, which is, I mean, if I'd have had doTERRA then, oh my God, she was on guard all over it. But you know, it, it was then and now it's now. And um, yeah, uh, I started university. I was really mentally not able to hack it. I felt like I didn't understand how to write an essay. It was just all very new to me. And it was music I was studying. And it's very, um, I want to say pompous. It's like only the rich kids would have be able to afford the right instrument. Um, you know, so I was limited in many ways. I felt like that wasn't the music I wanted to do. It was all like Mozart and Beethoven. I didn't understand it all, even though I, I did when I went back to study, but the time was so much. And to me, it just sort of got worse and worse. So I was 
I had a weird exercise addiction then, as, as well as mating disorder. So, um, and it was all restriction. It was more anorexia. And so then I left university on a whim, decided to train as a personal trainer, thinking it was my purpose. It wasn't. It was my addiction. Um, I was just so lost. <laughs> um, so then I went into nutrition and personal training, really fucking ill. Um, pardon for swearing, sorry, but there's no other word for it. And I am laughing because it's so sad because I was so removed from my power and I had no idea that I was doing these things that were part of my addiction. And I managed to use the personal training to travel overseas, to train in yoga, to help lots of people. Probably didn't help them that much at the time because I was very much in the fitness myth mentality. It's kind of shameful, but the low carb, I was on it. I mean, I apologize to any of my old clients, but that was who I was. Um, and then when I was overseas working in, uh, I worked in, no, I was in Egypt. I developed um, the, the, this sudden phase of bulimia where I think I'd been hungry for so many years and I was teaching like five hours of exercise in like 50 degree heat. I don't know what that is in like American temperatures, but it's hot. Um, uh, you're in Celsius, right? Yeah. Yeah, same here in Canada. Yeah. Well, 50 degrees Celsius, mega, it was rough. Oh, and yeah. Not eating enough, eating like literally three small meals. I was eating meals, but I developed very much... Um, like uh, bulimia and my weight dropped to about 32 kilograms um and I got more and more poorly I went then to Tenerife and I'm going to be really real about what happened because I think people need to know like the desperation of um you know how bad bulimia can be and I just want to let people know that there's no shame around this but I was making myself sick with a toothbrush that was how I'd make myself sick um uh, to make my gag reflex go and it slipped and it went in literally into the pipes you know the pipes I don't know what they're called <laughs> that's really mm -hmm. good isn't it? um and like literally nearly died and it was a huge awakening because I, I literally could have died and at that point I was sent home I went through cognitive behavioral therapy didn't really help I'll be honest um, the medical system didn't help me I went to the doctors and after being in hospital in Tenerife for a while and they told me that I should just eat biscuits and my weight was fine even though I was like 32 kilograms it, I mean, it was awful. And I really had to push for that referral. And then I was I was I was really poorly and I kinda went through recovery, it wasn't really working, and I gained a lot of weight very quickly. Uh I don't know what happened. It was like my body suddenly went into like starvation mode times a thousand. I, had, I was exercising a bit less, but I was then in a body that had gone from like a size zero in like US sizes to like maybe a size um, like 
10 or 12 US within, I don't know, like a month. It ballooned. I, I couldn't tell you what happened. No one could recognise it. It was horrible. Nothing fit. And I'm not saying, I'm not shaming people in that size. I'm saying from where I was to where I went with eating like a little bit more, it was just mad. So then I was, I really got stuck in the binge purge cycle, as in like binge, make myself sick and not eat. And I got stuck in that for years. And that was the worst time because everyone was looking at me and saying, "You, oh, you're better because you put weight on. But I was so ill like so 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 ill and I felt alone I lived with my grandparents at the time I had nowhere else to live like I didn't really have a good job like I could hardly work and I literally was making myself sick all the time and I that was when I felt the most out of control because I was so isolated from everyone I my grandparents like they didn't know but really my grandma knew and couldn't say anything um I didn't hang out with friends because I all I wanted to do was make sure I could go and binge and be sick it was like the only thing I had I was in a bad bad way and so then I I got gradually better you know um and I was still in exercise addiction, but slowly, 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 I got better. And I found um, the REACH approach, which is a, a therapy in the UK. It's based in psychotherapy, it's clinical psychotherapy, but it's super spiritual. It's based in shamanism and Buddhism, and it's like root cause. So it's really um, where my journey began. Um, when I was in Tenerife, I actually discovered Reiki then very fated and I remember when I discovered Reiki it was like all my awakening began so at the time as I was recovering I was learning Reiki and using that so energy healing and everything I did to heal was really the food wasn't any part of my healing I'll be honest because I had to silence all of that noise I had to silence all of the exercise and diet and fitness industry and I still do uh, because uh, of just where I am, and that may change. Hopefully that will change. Um, but the Reiki came along and astrology came along, and it was like, oh, my God, I can see now all of the wounds and along with therapy that I was working basically deep into my childhood, and astrology helped me to actually see that the eating disorder was really part of my journey and how to clear the karma around it was around my father. It was around um, food in past lives and actually not having enough. Um, it was so deep and it made me see that my mother's death, you know, it was all part of a bigger cycle. And, you know, I'm not saying it was like, oh, you know, a clinical approach, but astrology and Reiki really helped me to see things in a different way. And for me, my healing journey, they were two things that I think gave me um, confirmation, but also power, the power back, because it was something I could see outside of myself that actually made sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I moved away from fitness and more into yoga. And I really got into yoga for a while, but realized that yoga was just another exercise addiction with a spiritual tag. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it moved really to the real me. 
And I think the real me is a crazy, woo-woo, witchy astrologer, tarot reader, essential oil loving. I don't know what. (laughs) Yeah, Um, girl, that's the real you, right? Totally. So, I mean... Gosh, I have so many questions for you, but since we are on the topic of kind of discovering the real you and yeah, just like really like kind of bringing that real you to life or into the light, right? So you're like, wow, I think this is the real me. How I think a lot of women that are listening to this episode right now are on that journey and that version of the real them is still kind of like cloudy and murky and kind of like covered up with all of the conditioning, right? So what would you say to those women that are still trying to discover the real them or reconnect with the real them? Like, how did you come to find that you're this woo-woo Reiki loving astrology expert, um, essential oil loving woman that you are today. Um, so I mean, that I think when you're going through a rebirth and you're like, oh my god, who's the real me? I think we come into like awareness, so we're like, okay, I'm aware that I've got all these patterns I don't want to do, I'm aware of some trauma. Okay, and that's kind of where most people stop. They're like, oh, I'm aware. and But really, like, we hold on to a lot of stuff. But I think it's the layers of, like, incongruence in our being that when I say incongruence, I say incongruence because it's really out of alignment with our authenticity. And anything that's really out of alignment with our authenticity is coming from a moment where we abandoned ourselves or like, you know, we felt shame or guilt and then we fragmented part of our personality in order to get approval or to play small or to hide that shame. And I feel like every time we go within and we integrate those lost parts of ourselves a bit like you spoke about on my podcast saying bringing love where there wasn't love before, we find a new part of ourselves that is like new to us and we can hold it. And when we hold space for ourselves, rather than look outside and go, what's she doing? What's he doing? Maybe I should try that, which is literally what I do still. Um, And I have to remind myself, no, the answer isn't outside. You're running your own race, you know? We have to be the best we can be. And the in comparison, it's like there's literally no truth for us. You know, we can use it as a guide or a compass, but we can't find ourselves outside of ourselves for sure. So having our own practices that are our own, they can be any of our own, you know, it can be smelling an oil, it can be using astrology, it can be walking in nature, whatever our practices are that help us discover who we are. I think it's important we just be patient and keep applying them and know that change is a process and it's not an event. It doesn't happen, you know, overnight. So if we're thinking, oh, you know, where am I headed? Who am I supposed to be? Really who you are is not even what you do. 
it's just who you are. And when if someone said, who are you really? I would say, well, who am I really? I'm not my astrology. I'm not my oils. But that feels where I can offer service. And it feels that when I'm doing those things, it doesn't drain me. The same as when I'm like talking with you, Meg, about this deep stuff. One person be like, oh my God, that's too deep for me. But for me, this is when I feel alive. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I'm like, oh, this is filling my energy. Mm-hmm. So if it's maybe down to feeling like people feeling, and it can be simple as when if people are trying to find who they are or their authenticity, like I always say, what does it feel like? Does it feel like opening and expanding or does it feel like, you know, like um, juddery or just incongruent? Like for me, I feel it as my whole body going, no. And I'm like, okay. And it just feels like I want to curl on the ground and just be Mm -hmm. like, no, bugger off. Like when I drive, I hate driving, but I try and go, okay. But my whole body doesn't want to do it. And that just comes with awareness. So I guess don't rush to find out who you're supposed to be. For sure. And also you were talking about two major players when it came to your eating disorder recovery, and those were Reiki and astrology. So do you want to perhaps go a little bit deeper into each of those and share with us like how those actually supported you throughout eating disorder recovery? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I love talk therapy. I'm going to be really real. I love talk therapy. I love trauma relief therapy. Those two will also be players. And my therapist is the one woman on the planet who I truly, truly trust and feel 100% completely held and safe. There is no one like that. I think I'm... Honestly, I think she's an angel. (laughs) Um, But before that, Reiki, when I was really, really, really ill, like... Reiki is just energy healing. And so when we don't have the words, and that's really important because I think with eating disorders, if you've got an eating disorder and you say, oh, I haven't had any trauma in the past, you know, big. I mean, you will have had some, 100%. But say you'd had no trauma and you just had an eating disorder, that's like a trauma in itself, right? And the body, you know, and I don't know if anyone's read Dr. Peter Levine's In an Unspoken Voice or The Body Keeps the Score. The body is constantly holding on to that trauma and its fascia and its cells. And Reiki gives the body the voice, I think, because it helps us release 
those energetic blockages and open up those channels that are holding on to incongruence and you know, energy healing, it's been shown that with heart coherence, so the heart coherence of the Reiki practitioner, say, you know, me as a Reiki master, my approach to the client is the most fundamental thing because when we bring that energy to the cells of the body, has the ability to actually take incoherent cells, so those will be cells that are going, ah, they're in a mad way, and bring them into coherence. So it means it's actually healing them, not just uh, like, you know, physically, on a physical, as in a vibrational electromagnetic frequency level, those cells start behaving in a more um, cohesive way, in harmony. And so with Reiki, when you are early in the eating disorder and you can't even pick apart what you feel or how you feel. You have no words to say it. It just feels like you want to scream every time you sit down at a meal. You want to strangle your therapist. You want to eat everything, but you can't. You want to eat stuff, but you feel like you're going to die. When those feelings come along, Reiki, especially Reiki level one, even if you could do that, is like a self-tool. You hold yourself and you send this loving energy into your body, God love, universal energy, whatever you like to call it, angelic Reiki, it doesn't matter. Your intention is purely to hold space. The body can breathe and the processing can happen. And then as I evolved as a practitioner, um, and I got my Reiki master and I work with people now and it's very shamanic, my work. It's really moved just to broad energy healing. We are sending into the past and some people, I won't go too deep because some of it can sound a bit like really out there, but sometimes people got like entities literally stuck in their body that aren't theirs and they're causing them to have like an OCD behavior. And we can draw that out as Reiki masters if we're willing to, you know, if that's the energy we work with, we can draw this out of people and they can have like overnight changes. You know, my bulimia literally disappeared overnight one day once I got my Reiki master and I did some cord cutting um, and Reiki can send into past lives. So I was looking through a lot of past lives in my Reiki and seeing lots of themes around food and starvation and poverty, which lined up with my astrology. So that's why Reiki is really powerful because it's clearing the energy, it's creating peacefulness and reminding the body it can heal itself. Um, and then with astrology, astrology is very objective. It's like human design. You can't lie because the facts are there in front of you. And, you know, we can all joke about astrology. You know, I'm a Scorpio, so I'm a nasty and, you know, I want to have sex all the time, apparently. But that's, and these aren't the actual archetypes. They're just joking. But when I, I study mainly shamanic astrology, but I know modern and Vedic, but it's about the, the schools that we're in, in this life. So, like... You're Gemini, you have strong Gemini. See, part of your mystery school is to actually have fun and explore ideas and talk and share, and that's part of your mystery school. But the mystery school of Scorpio, which is what I have, is the mystery school of deep intensity, 
and exploring the very edges and deepest pains and spectrums of emotions. So if I didn't seek that through my own spiritual work as a Scorpio, it would find me. And this is why Scorpios, they say they have terrible lives or so much trauma and stuff. It's because they weren't using the power. So then it finds them. So knowing my astrology, I'm like, okay. So, you know, people say Pisces, they're, they're addicted to drugs or whatever. Scorpios too, because if they're not using their energy right and applying it to something productive that's serving humanity and the involvement of consciousness then they're gonna, it's going to come at them in other ways. So we can look at people's astrology or their Saturn placement a lot of the time, or often with eating disorders, it's the Ceres placement, that's an asteroid. And um, we can look at a few things and it's like, okay, how do we funnel this energy into something productive rather than be a victim of it? Like Mercury retrograde, all our stuff breaks because it's saying, slow down your focus isn't now on production, it's on relaxing and doing other things, you know? So astrology is good because as a conscious astrologer and when I work with clients, I'm not going, oh, your Saturn returns now, prepare for debt or um, prepare, you know, if it's in the fourth house, you have problems at home and your plumbing is going to break. I'm like, okay, check the foundations of your house and use this time now to really work on also childhood wounds because that's also an archetype of the fourth house. So what can you put in place to work with the energy? And astrology is deep. You know, there's all sorts of bigger pictures you would look at with someone's chart, um, but it can prepare you to think of, it's like the chapters of your life. And, you know, there's chapters where you might work more on raising children. There's chapters where you might work more on career. But say you weren't aware of that and you were like, I want to have my career and have the kids and do it all, which I'm saying is fine. But sometimes it's not the season. And then it all goes a bit tits up and you feel awful. You feel out of sync because you're not going with the rhythm. And it's not that your astrology defines what you do but it will definitely find you in ways that maybe aren't pleasant if you don't use it to evolve your soul because all astrology is really, and like Jyotish is like the Vedic astrology, it means light of God. So it's God showing himself to you through your human experience. How you use it is up to you. You can either evolve or stay the same, but astrology cycles. So we'll just come back and, and remind you like, my eating disorder came back over and over and over and over and over, and over again because in different ways, just like because of that cycle happening in my chart and I was in that cycle of my astrology. And the minute that Pluto and Saturn met in the sky, there was a big catharsis, which happened like two years ago when I really just plowed forward. So I knew that that was coming, but... I've still had to work with it because we're not out of the woods yet. And it's just stuff like that that helped me. And the more I work on my relationship with my dad, it's linked to that, the easier my eating disorder becomes. So yes, you can say that's just because it's childhood trauma, but it helps me to see astrologically. And I think it helps other people too as well. You know, we can see anything through their chart and it really helps us to see it objectively in a way that's like, you know what, I'm not a victim. I've actually, you know, I'm not a victim of this. It's more like, okay, what can I do about this? And so it moves us from victim into the problem-solving mode, you know? And that can help in itself, I think. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's so cool how these things like Reiki and astrology can be so helpful for eating disorder recovery, yet traditional eating disorder recovery obviously like doesn't include these things. But I think both you and I have had that experience of going through traditional eating disorder recovery and then, you know, like kind of recovering and things like that. But then when you dive into the spiritual work and the deep, deep inner work, that's when all things change. And I'd be super curious. I know you and I are having a astrology session together and I'm so, so excited to learn more about my chart. And I just really love and admire like the wisdom that you have about your journey and being like, okay, so astrologically, this is what was happening in my chart. And then kind of relating that back to what was happening in your life. And I want to do that. I want to be like, okay, so this totally makes sense as to why I was moving through this at this time and kind of like, you know, relate that to what was happening in my chart at that time. So that's super exciting. And you brought up Saturn a few times. So how does that relate into things? I know it's like something that's brought up quite frequently and you yourself just brought it up multiple times. So can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on like what what is the significance of Saturn in your chart? Um. So I'll preface by saying there are, I'm actually doing some research on eating disorders and astrology. And I'm in these weird nerdy astrological groups. <laughs> um, but I put a post out uh, saying, I'm doing some research, blah, blah, blah. If you have anything, um, you want to share your chart and your experience. And there are some themes that come up. Um, and I was surprised actually so many of the astrological community had eating disorders, which is really interesting. Because I don't think we find these things through just willy-nilly. I think we find them through crisis, and that's useful to know. Um, But by the by, Saturn is really interesting, and it really... So in in a nutshell, Saturn is the archetype of truth, foundations, Um, responsibility, duty, limitation, blockage, karma, karma, karma. Uh, It's the old granddad of the uh, skies and he is also responsible for when things come into 3D human form. So what we often see in a person is their Venus, their Mars, uh, their sun, their moon, that's what we see. Um, But we don't often see their Pluto, their Uranus, their Neptune, which are big players, um, and they do have an effect. So Saturn really is like the gatekeeper of the unconscious into the 3D, what we see. And he does a lot more, um, but I'm trying to keep it brief. We could probably talk for three hours on Saturn. But he's the old granddad, and he's the one that says you can't do anything half done. Uh, Wherever he is, he will make it hard for you. You cannot cruise there uh he will bring limitation you know he's really um a big player and saturn um we go through cycles with saturn so um 
the bigger ones are the Saturn square, the Saturn opposition, and the Saturn return. The Saturn return is where Saturn is returning to the moment it was when you were born. And that happens around the age of 28 to 32. I just had mine. And even though I prepared for it as best I could, it still came with a bigger test. So an example is um, where it sits in your chart is the area of life. So a lot of people with eating disorders will have Ceres or Saturn either in the first house, second, eighth, sixth, sometimes twelfth. Um, and so Ceres is also playing around there and, and Pluto, they're kind of all happening and sometimes Mars. But with Saturn, mine was in the second house. The second house is finances, it's food, it's resources. So when it came along, I prepared for it. I had also, mine's been like double, double, double bad. But to, because of the condition of my Saturn, because I was born at night, so people, if you're born at night time, your Saturn will be more strong. Um, it's malefic, it means it's not as nice. And it will put you through the ringer. And for me, within the moment that Saturn return happened, I had a payoff in that my eating disorder lifted and it was like all of my food stuff it went through a crisis about a month before it all came back it was like the backlash of saturn or something and then i really got a reward to do that so saturn brings rewards for hard work it will show you like a health transformation for example if it's giving you troubles for the first 30 years it might bring you money if you've not had any for me it didn't took loads away um it, it actually i've been starting abundance mindset stuff i've been working with christina on my business and so what happened is i've been doing all this abundant work and abundance work it got better and better but saturn comes along and he says how much really do you do that so he tests you with me like in the space of like two weeks i had to pay like something ridiculous like two thousand five hundred pounds repair as like full but nowhere i hadn't had any work like i had no work for two months i don't know what happened just no bookings so saturn literally strangles and limits and squeezes and it was like how much are you going to fall back into that old pattern that you think you can't make money you're not worthy and my um eating disorder is tied up with scarcity so are you going to start starving yourself again because you've got nothing you're going to get anxious you're going to panic um are you going to fall back into old jobs that don't value you just for the sake of money and it was all these abundance challenges so if i was not conscious that saturn was doing that i'd have gone right i'm just going to get a normal job oh no you know what i'd start starving myself again i might suddenly think oh you know what this astrology life isn't for me if business isn't for me uh, money doesn't come to people like me you know i could have just gone back into that so i was like no so saturn said he likes meditation saturn really likes that and daily discipline so i just disciplined myself more i dedicated more to my abundance i said money comes money goes you know and i went into it so when my saturn came around you know he tests and limits and squeezes and i'll be honest saturn in my second house makes sense because i am here i'm a left angle in human design to clear other people's karma so i'm clearing the karma of all my family ancestral beliefs around money which is there is none and you can't get it so i know that because saturn's there 
and then we can look at our Saturn and where it sits and that's where we can clear our karma and that's where it brings it. So if I clear that karma, abundance comes. We also look to the opposite of Saturn. We kind of look at a few things, but work on your Saturn karma. I did a blog post on it like a few days ago. Mm. It's really powerful because it kind of like, for some people, it can be around their parents and it's just like if their mom is a test, you have to unconditionally love them if that's your sound placement, even if they're vile. So it's really hard. Um, so it really depends, Meg. Like, yeah. Are your in the 12th house. You're yes, mine is in the 12th house. That's why if you saw me glancing down while you were talking, I was like, I need to pull mine up just to, just to see... Um, for personal reference where mine was at so it says that mine is in the in Aquarius and in the 12th house so it's not yeah so you're about to have yours I am is it in Aquarius oh gosh I don't know I don't think it says on my little (laughs) co-star app (laughs) I'll have to get back to you on that March, you'll get a flavor of it for four months and then it'll come back to me and I'll have it all for a bit for you and then you'll get yours again. Um, but it's going to be good yours because it's lucky you. It's um, with Jupiter and it'll probably be a little bit more good. In the 12th house, Saturn is, um, like I say, you know, eating disorders. It's usually something that's Saturn in the 12th. Um, but again, you've chosen to take yours. For example, my ex has the exact same placement as you. He just chose to bury his head in the sand and not deal with it. His Saturn in the 12th, which is all about, it can be like depression, apathy, uh, addictive tendencies. Um, it's like the archetype of Pisces. So uh, it's, it's also to do, yeah, addiction, self-destruction. It's the house of self undoing. And Saturn there is like going to make it worse for you. Um, so interesting. And you can also feel like a bit of an outsider with it in Aquarius in the 12th house. Um, but yeah, it can, ex- it, yeah, the great thing about that, Meg, is um, you've chosen it to actually become very evolved and actually serve humanity through your own suffering, which Saturn will really like. And he's very likely to come and because and it's 12th house, you also want to help people less fortunate than you through service, which is 6th house. And I don't mean less fortunate, like, you know, poor unfortunate souls, you know, I mean, like, um, you know, those people that need you. Um, and also having a small pet and caring for a pet is your karma. So you're doing your sound work. Well done, Meg. A big tick for you. Wow. <laughs> um, very fascinating, hey? So, um, but you've done the work. So your sound return will bring rewards. He wouldn't do the work of his. And it has not been nice for him. Okay. Um, I'll say that. And I don't mean that like, oh, you know, bad on him, but it's just... It's just the way it is, is right? Yeah, and he brings rewards if you do the work. So mm. this is what you know about your Saturn placement because it can make your life so much easier. <laughs> Gosh, Cassie, I feel like you and I could chat astrology, Reiki, inner work, all things woo-woo forever. <laughs> so it's sad that the podcast is coming to an end. I honestly want to keep continuing to talk to you, but 
I also know that our time change is very different. You're in London, right? Uh, or yeah, you're in the UK. Yeah. 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 So it's evening time there. So unfortunately, we're going to wrap up the show. But I do want to first, I was going to say I am going to include your blog post in the show notes. So if people's ears kind of perked up about that blog post, they can go check it out there. All of your other links are linked up there. But if people want to jump on Instagram right now, where can they find you? Because you're one of my favorite people over there. Oh, um, thank you so much, Meg. Um, Yeah, you can find me at Cassie Aurora Coaching pretty simple um super simple and i share my content on there um and i have a podcast mother yes. goddess so such cool. a good podcast too by the way i love it and yeah. one last question before you go i ask all of my guests this what does it mean to you to be unbreakable cassie oh gosh meg this is a tough one okay i didn't think about this whole thing to never abandon yourself and to always choose love. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love you. Thank you so much for coming on this week's episode, hon. I love you too, Meg. Thank you so very much for having me.